Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. So this is part four in a four-part series. This is our final chapter of the End Times Anxiety Series. I won't do my whole spiel here because you've probably listened to one, two, and three. If you haven't, you should start at the beginning. Two extra thoughts as we conclude this series. Number one, I want to be clear that these episodes are not designed to be an argument to raise kids outside of a Christian community. My wife and I will be raising our son in the church. We're just being careful about which church and what kind of Christian books we read with him, etc. In fact, through the You Have Permission Facebook group, patrons of the show have helped us put together a little list of books that I'm very excited to read to our little guy, as well as children's Bibles for different ages. I'm going to put that list in the show notes for today's episode in case anyone's interested in that. And then number two... Matt Carter from the Bad Christian Podcast made a good point when I was on their show last week. Uh, He mentioned that there is a new kind of apocalypticism these days that isn't about the rapture, but it's about climate change. Now, of course, there are real differences between the two. Climate change is backed by mountains of evidence, for instance. But we should still be mindful, I think, of the psychological lessons here, especially for our kids. If we go overly alarmist and we end up being wrong we will have done some irreparable psychological damage to them. I don't know the answer here, 
Uh, it's going to require a lot of discernment from a lot of people. But it seems like something worth flagging for future consideration as I sat here thinking, well, what are we going to do to our kids that ends up looking kind of like this looked to us, you know? So to today's episode, we are hearing three stories that have been separated separated out from the pack, uh, f- uh, three of those 20 interviews that I did back in August. First up, we've got Tara, not her real name, but at the time of our interview, Tara was 35 years old. How were you originally introduced to End Times Thinking? I I can't really pinpoint the exact time because it was something that I think the concept was so ingrained in how my early Christian theology, not that it was ever called that, but the theology was kind of embedded. So I do know for sure as a young child, I had a very, very high sense of guilt um, just for existing and let alone guilt for anything I actually did. And so the concept of the end times was, you know, Jesus is coming back. It's um, trumpets and we get whisked off to heaven. And I remember being a very, very young child and that was reality. I was also very fearful. Um, I had a uh, injury, brain injury when I was uh, five. So slipped, fell on the playground, concussion, ground mal seizures, surgery within 48 hours, nearly died. What trouble, traumatic thing. But all, but ever since then, I went from being the happiest child ever to very fearful, um, major depressive disorder, all that stuff. And so my fear of the future led me to, okay, mom and dad, you seem to know all. Like, okay, predict the future because it's scary. And my mom has always been very prophetic. Um, to speak some Christianese. Um, she's always been very prophetic and would have, and I think they were genuine for the most, well, you know what? I would just say universally they're genuine. Um, they're, she listens to God. Um, she talks to God and that's a two-way conversation. You know, I'd bring home, you know, friends or potential interests when I get got older and be like, mom, what do you think? Mom, what do you think? <laughs> mom, what do you think? And I relied so heavily on her to tell me, you know, what she sensed about people. Well, because of that, anything to do with, you know, end times or rapture or God, I, she was my resource. And I remember very clearly being around somewhere between 10, 11, 12, right around that age where, you know, I I asked, well, obviously we don't know when, but how soon do we think? And my parents saying, oh no, you know, the way that things are escalating in the world, you know, maybe five to 10 years tops based on, you know, revelation and their understanding and the way that the world was getting so scary and nasty and whatever. And so I took that very much literally. Weirdly, I think I put my hope almost in that first coming back, just as kind of like, you know, when you're taking a test and you think you're doing okay, but you won't know the score until you're actually, you know, someone grades it. Right. I kind of saw that initial coming back as like the first grading. Mm. And then maybe you get a chance to revise your paper after <laughs> and turn it in again for a better grade. Did you <laughs> think that did you think that you would be raptured? It depends on the day. I would say that it is far closer to zero than a hundred percent that I have yeah. ever felt security in not ending up damned forever. So part of me is honestly hoped that the rapture, even though I don't necessarily believe that now, 
fully. I don't know what I think about it, to be honest. Um, part of me hopes it is an actual thing, if only for the chance to fix things if I fail. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I do have a decent amount of anxiety about, you know, getting hit by a car and ending up in hell. That's for sure. I would say that my depression is not necessarily tied to the direct concept of the end time thing. However, growing up with the mentality of, you know, X amount of years, there's hope at the end of the tunnel and it's a short tunnel. Under that understanding, my parents should never have gotten older or had health problems. Um, you know, I wouldn't one day have to watch them pass away and reaching the age of 30 and, and realizing, oh, my parents' health is, especially one of them is, is going downhill. Oh, this is a real life thing. Like I'm watching my body age. I'm watching their bodies age. And that is such a foreign and jarring thing because I never expected to have to do that. And yeah. that part is kind of crushing. And it makes me, that definitely makes me feel both anger and sadness because life was never framed as this beautiful long-term journey. It was framed as this moment to moment battle that is short, that, that is, you know, short term and there's an escape clause. Like that was kind of the billing on it. So to find out a decade, I mean, Jesus is like 10 years late, man. So to find, to find out now, you know, that, that is not how life is slated to go. And, oh, I am in this body that I do have to take care of long-term and that, you know, my life, the choices that I've made up until now do have long-term consequences. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> like that's a weight that I was never, you know, I was never really told how to, how to carry. I, I've just completed my bachelor bachelor's degree. One of the courses that I took was in um, history of Christian thought. And my family were up in arms that I would take a Christian course or a comparative religion course at a liberal school. And my response was, what are you so afraid of? I, if I can't take a course, how deep do you think my air quote faith is? And if you're afraid of questions, you should probably examine why you're afraid of questions. And finding out more about the history of Christianity and how much people have dabbled with it, to say it lightly, and how divided the church was even a generation past Christ actually walking on the earth. It honestly, it simplified things for me. And it became much less about, let me figure out the end times. Let me figure out the nature of God in a textual way that I can quantify and rationalize and put into a pie graph or whatever. Like I, It became very simply, who is Jesus? What did he stand for? And let's emulate that. And the rest will fall into place. Because as much as I tried to control things or figure things out or have all the answers, that is not possible. And I learned that by taking this course where even people that walked next to Jesus didn't agree and didn't have the same theology and necessarily. And a generation or two later, when you got these different churches, they're doing things different. They're saying this way is right. No, this way is right. We're still doing it today. And anything beyond who is Jesus, because Jesus was the living embodiment of God. And him saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, great. 
who was he? That for me simplified it down to the only thing we can know for certain. And even then, asterisks because Bible translations and whatever. But what is the character of God as best we can know it? Within the last five years, have intensely done battle with um, my own understanding. Because at the time, as a child, you don't process oh, this is programming my brain in a way that's going to anticipate the interactions of myself, others, and God at one yeah. way on one certain grid. You don't, you, don't, and you don't think that as a child. The way I saw it was, you know, okay, I've only got to worry about this whole life thing for five to 10 years. Sweet, because I was also battling major depressive disorder. So to be told, oh, you've only got to put up with this for five to 10 years, because life was, a, was not an enjoyable thing. Life was something that I wanted out like I, I, if, if for them to tell me the way that I interpreted it, um, you know, you've only got five to 10 years for me, that was like, thank God. It was like hopeful. Yeah. That was honestly, that was hope. Okay. Why am I the way I am? Why was I the way I was? What made me make certain decisions in my teens and twenties that were not congruent with my belief system or who I was as a person? Like why, why did all that happen? And a lot of it, unfortunately, can be traced back to the whole end times thing. Because when you're told, as somebody like myself, who, yes, struggles with depression, is kind of anxious and fearful at times, but also my my family's way of, of raising me and my brothers, I have two older brothers, um, was less focused on what are you going to do with your life. Um, I don't even remember there being a conversation about well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Because according to their theology, I wasn't going to grow up. Why do you need to think about a profession and college and degrees and being financially responsible? I mean, why? I mean, even down to that, why think about savings when it's all going to go away in five to 10 years? Why worry about, you know, spending gobs of money and time on a degree when you're not going to use it because you're only going to be here until your mid twenties or early twenties tops, you know? Um, and that is so, it makes me so angry and so upset that it took until I was 31 years old. And I remember the exact conversation where I was at, who I was talking to for someone to tell me, you know, your life is not over and you have your whole life ahead of you. And I hadn't heard that until I was 31. And even if I miss the first cut, at least I know that. And I've got time to fix things to make the second cut, you know? And then there's, because, I mean, that was the way I saw Rapture too, was because my sense of failure and guilt and all that was, well, if I don't make it when he calls up the first batch, at least I know I didn't make the mark. So maybe I can get better enough to make it the second time around. Yeah, Um, yeah. Which is so, which to anybody outside of the church, all of this sounds so batshit. And I know that. But when you're a kid, when you're being kind of programmed as a person, you don't know this stuff is crazy. And so I've brought to them the fact of, you know, you know that when I was young, you guys said five to 10 years and I believed you. And they said, well, yeah, but we also said you can't know the time and day. I said, no, 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 no. Like you guys said you can't know the time and day, but you were very sure that we had five to 10 years before Jesus was coming back and all this nonsense would be, would be over. And I said, I'm honestly, I'm not even sure that there is a literal coming back the way that think people, at least pop culture and, you know, mass advertised theology have, you know, sold it. 
Like, I'm not sure that that is literally what it is. And my mom has said within the last couple of years, you know, I'm not sure either. I, I don't see mm. things the way that I did. And I don't honestly know if I've had a outright apology or, a, you know, I'm sorry. I think that they didn't realize that the way that they were framing life and God and, and times and theology, the way that they were framing it was having such this deep rooted foundational, like framework structuring of who I was and how I lived my life, which is kind of counterintuitive because that's what you're supposed to be doing when you're raising children <laughs> is yeah, teaching them how the world works and thinking got, that they might grasp it and hold on. It's <laughs> got me thinking like, <sighs> I feel like a lot of parents that I've heard about in these interviews would never have wanted to tell their kids, hey, you know what? You're probably going to die of an infectious disease before you're 15 or 20. They would never say that, but they're comfortable saying you're going to go to heaven because Jesus is going to return. I'm One thing I'm interested in, and I wonder if you have any idea about this from your story, is what's the salient difference that makes – parents okay with being very blunt with their children about Jesus returning and your life ending versus even if they thought it was true, like they would probably not want them to dwell on, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of crime and we're probably all going to get murdered, you know, or something or global warming is going to sea rise and there's going to be probably going to be a famine. No, they don't don't believe in that. that. Come on now. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I think that they're, this is all assumption, but this is knowing them, knowing who they are, um, knowing that they do have the best of intentions and their hearts are genuinely, they are genuinely good people. Um, they're not abusers. Um, they're not narcissists. But I think as soon as you add in the ingredient of God and then as soon as you add in the ingredient of potentially hope or, you know, the hereafter or Bible or whatever, whatever your clutch is. You mentioned earlier that your mom was really a religious authority authority in your life. You would kind of look to her for all kinds of guidance and what she thought of things, what she thought of people. Yeah. My question is, do you think that uh, the imminence of Christ's return increased that authority of hers in your mind or did it not have any effect on that authority? I would think it probably increased it because she did tend to be very accurate. But now the flip side of that is now being on the other side of that timeline. Yeah. It puts an asterisk next to everything. Yeah. It decreases their authority to to you in this day and age. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's been, I think two years, two and a half years ago, there was a big incident with them that pretty much just negated it. And so I've had to figure out over the last, over the last two and a half years more intensely, what do I actually think of all this, Uh, you know, without their input? um, What is it that I think about what it means? Who is God? What is this Christian thing? You've had to go it alone without their authority because it was, it was proven to be not sufficient. Yeah. And it was more than just the end time thing. That's the thing is that I think the end time thing is where, you know, the cracks started to be visible um, of their fallibility. And that's the thing is that they, it's not like they ever masqueraded on purpose as misleading. I think that they genuinely had heartfelt beliefs and they intended good. But unfortunately, the the byproduct 
of having declared something so outright that long-term proved to be false, the byproduct of that is you just negated your credibility. And I remember asking them at one point, you know, every generation since Christ has thought that they were the last generation. Why are we so sure that we're the last generation? And I'm sure it's the same answer that all the other generations gave too, which was, well, the way the world is going and oh, look how dark things are getting. You know, humans seem to think that as things are happening in real time in their lives, it can't possibly get worse. And then it does. And then it does again. And then it does again. Or um, if Steven Pinker is right, it actually gets better and then better and then better and then better. And right. we it's a psychological thing. We just focus thing. on, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is it's, it's, it's not necessarily that objectively speaking, things are worse. It's that the way that we are choosing to focus on various aspects of it, those things seem more scary. And I honestly, I, I don't think it's getting horrifically worse. I think that people are becoming more divided, but that's not necessarily, yeah. you know, because the world is going to hell in a handbasket tomorrow. I think family is kind of the thread that ties these three stories together today. And next up, we're going to hear from a college friend of mine. Again, she's going to remain nameless, not because of anything sensitive that she shares about herself, but rather what she shares about her twin sister, who, of course, did give her permission for her story to be told here. Now, this story is interesting because it highlights how very similar people, twins even, can have very different reactions to the same events. This is something that's come up in other episodes, and I've mentioned it on a number of other podcasts talking about this series specifically, but, you know, two soldiers can see the same thing in a battle. One gets PTSD, the other doesn't. And we're going to hear a kind of a a more robust uh, and full picture of just how different twin sisters can be, even when they hear the same alarmist end times teachings. How were you originally introduced to end times thinking and how old were you at the time? Both of us were introduced at the same time at Vacation Bible School when we were eight. So 30 years ago um, through a United Methodist Church. And what do you remember being said or what was the thrust of the message? Probably this poor woman had all of the best intentions, but had her own thoughts and, and inserted her own thoughts about the message that day, which I think was probably just wanting these kids, wanting us to have an opportunity to have a a salvation opportunity, you know, to pray the prayer. And I think that in her way, that was a a really important part of it. Like the end is coming soon. Um, And it really, my sister remembers the most. She was as specific as like, it will be at night. You'll need to have a a suitcase packed. You're going to have to stand on your roof, like very specific language and very specific visuals for an eight-year-old to hear. Sorry. So the rapture was contingent for her upon having a suitcase packed and being on the roof of your house? Like like very specifically, it will happen at like it, within 10 to 15 years and you have to be, is it going to be at night? Yeah. I mean, it was so specific with her in, with her, in her mind. What she was telling us was, was going to happen. Okay. So this is interesting. You're not the first person to say this, but I had not experienced this before that the rapture it's coming soon was tied inextricably to the basic gospel message. Mm-hmm. So what, how would you describe the relationship of those two things? I think maybe because of the pre millennial conversations of like, 
it could happen anytime and you should believe now or else, you know, tomorrow we could be all gone and you'll be here all by yourself. So you should pray the prayer to believe in Jesus because you don't want to get left here. So throughout your uh, childhood and teen, teen years, maybe young adult years, can you list other end times uh, items or theological claims or particular prophecies that you were exposed to? You know, beyond that, um, poor woman, <laughs> I didn't really have much end times understanding beyond just what the book of Revelation said. And um, it was a book that we never really read because it was so much, so much, you know, allegorical language and so much, you know, for me, it didn't make much sense. And um, it, it didn't play much a part of my gospel experience or my story. Um, my sister, on the other hand, didn't sleep for years because of it at age eight. I mean, she was terrified. And so for her, it was not an, um, be, being a Christian was not attractive if that's what it meant was, was to be afraid all the time. She went through the motions because she was raised in a house that went to church. Um, but as soon as she could start making her own decisions, it, I think it, it did play a large role in her um, not wanting to pursue looking deeper into a relationship with God through Christ. But I don't think she realized that until she had her own kids. I don't think she realized that that was the, the thing that was kind of the starting point to that. Did you and and or your sister read like the Left Behind books or any of that? I read kind them of, all. You did. Did she read them? Mm-hmm. No. Um, so you read them like for fun? Yeah. Did you believe that series of events would come to pass? Mm, no. But remember, when I was reading those books was Y2K. Okay. And I think, and so for my, and for my sister, Y2K was terrifying. She had a countdown clock. She, I mean, she says that it wasn't that big of a deal for her. It was more of like the, the buzz of the time, like nothing's going to work anymore. The and computers, it, you know, all, computers yeah. are going to stop working and whatever. But I think that she, she says it, it kind of was a small tie to like that fear, that same fear. Maybe um, it was a trigger. It was a trigger back to the kind of anxiety she experienced as a young Christian. Yeah, which is crazy to think. I mean, oh, Y2K. It's not crazy just, to me. I get no. that completely. Yeah. So you obviously have not had mental health issues related to the end time stuff, but but you responded to my post because your sister pretty clearly has. Um, mm. Is there any more you can say about specifically like what you saw her going through um, as you guys were growing up together? I think as much as I love of course, she's my sister. And as much as we were raised in the same family, um, I think that 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 was the point for me in my observation of her, that I saw more rebellion um, and more kind of just a strong arm against being open to even the the love option of the gospel and the the loving person of Jesus and not even considering that I saw a lot of just kind of bitterness and anger uh, towards anybody or even judgment towards those who did. And, and even at like through middle school and high school, just kind of saw this wall towards even just being open to accessing that kind of softer side of the gospel. And the, the part that really is, beautiful and the person of Jesus who was really beautiful. And, and I witnessed a person who has 
since that time struggled with sleeping. And then I don't know if it's just tied to that or if it's a coincidence, but she's, she had to, was on an Ambien prescription for eight years and even now is not a sleeper. And, and there's totally, there's so many things that go along in your mental health with when you're sleep deprived for 30 years. Yeah. Do you think about what was going on with her in junior high and high school differently now than you thought about it when you were in junior high and high school? Oh yeah. Because I wasn't going through any of that. And for me, God has always been, uh, it hasn't been a question of, of if I'm going to believe in God and follow the person of Jesus. Now over the years, it's looked different as it, you know, as I get older and as I think more about who I am and who he's, who he is and, and my relationship to God, that's never been a question for me. But when I was in junior high, I didn't understand why it was a question for her and why, why she's so rebellious and why is she doing all of these things when I'm the same, we were raised the same and you're just now this rebellious partying person with your middle finger up all the time and it didn't make sense to me. So it was a little judgy, I think, um, but also just was, didn't quite understand where it was coming from either. Now, do you connect it to at all to that experience of being younger as being maybe kind of traumatic for her in some way and therefore presenting a different, a totally different brain pathway than you had with the Bible you were given, for instance? Sure. Like I, I think maybe at that point she just thought it was, this woman's ridiculous. That was scary. I don't want to think about it. And so now all of this is going to be a joke right? This is not real. Who cares? We're all going to die anyway. I don't want to be, you know, I, I, if we die anyway, then we're just going to, the end result is the same. So, and, and until she, she told me that, that that was a large part of her walking away from her faith in God. Like, it was like, oh, that makes total sense. I mean, we're only eight years old, but that's so powerful. Such a powerful, I remember being a little bit afraid, but not as afraid as her. And that the fact that she wasn't able to verbalize it or even connect the dots for 20 years, um, just was, was eye-opening to me. And it made me really sad because there's nothing that I can say to change what she's carried on her back for 25, 30 years, you know? Yeah. It brings up all kinds of really interesting questions about like brain chemistry and how likely we are to believe or not believe certain things based on how we emotionally and chemically react to them. Right. Um, I have a lot of sympathy for Um, or I guess empathy for your sister's story, because I have had such similar like nervous system reactions that she's had. And I also Mm -hmm. struggle with sleep and I've was on, I've had sleep, uh, sleep medication prescriptions Prescriptions. before. Yeah. For, for long periods. And um, yeah, so that's just really interesting. It's interesting to hear it coming from you as someone who just does not experience that stuff the same way. In the same way at all. And I think, I used to just say, well, we're just two different people and we created two different ways. And, and I was always really aware of God and, and, and Jesus in my life since age four, like I bought a pair of crucifix earrings and I didn't even know, like, cause I wanted Jesus close to me all the time at age four. Um, and I just thought, well, she just wasn't created with the same spiritual yearning, but maybe she was, and maybe it, this just was like kind of all of the things collided and she, that was it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, so I'm wondering, like, I'm going to ask you some stuff now as kind of like a the healthy alternative to most of the stuff I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the trauma research is around resilience and how people just have different levels of resilience for the exact same impetus, mm-hmm. you know, and we're, people, we're just wired differently. But so what, we can probably go through some of these fairly quickly since you haven't sure. had a bad experience. 
do you do, how many times did you ever worry that you were left behind? Zero. Zero. Why not? Why did you not worry about that? Early on, when my relationship with God was more like I prayed the prayer, the box is checked, so I'm good. I think it was a little bit there, like like well, I prayed it, so I'm I don't have to worry. And you never felt, felt like you should compuls like you never compulsively prayed it again to make sure it stuck. Mm-mm. So did you believe the end time stuff? Like would would if someone had said, do you think there's going to be a rapture and God's going to take all the Christians and there's going to be a tribulation and antichrist? Like, would you have said, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen? I think so. Probably in my teenage years and my early twenties, I would have said yes, because that's what I was taught. And I didn't really think to, to do my own thinking about it. Cause I'm not like, okay. And that's my fault being in the kind of a head in the sand kind of person, you know, this is what the Bible says. And I think at that time, early on, I would say I was more of a literalist than, than I am now. And then also being on staff with Campus Crusade, like there's just a whole lot of other things that kind of added to that. Like, yeah, this is what this says. This is what's going to happen. And I'm good because I, I checked that box and I don't have to worry about it. And But I didn't feel the urgency to make sure other pe- people didn't feel that way. I don't know. So you you didn't pass on that same motivator. So it when you were eight, the rapture is a motivator for the general gospel message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but you never really absorbed that. It was it didn't motivate you to evangelize. Maybe if you were going to evangelize, it was not because of that. No, Mm-mm. never. I think that 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 part was always the part that I didn't understand enough to bring it into my salvation story. Because to me, it was like John was writing in such a like a different language that it was like, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe, maybe that's part of it. But gets love Jesus now so he can – for me, it was more about like the individual person, the, the heart of the matter, the the process of sanctification and the process of, of I don't know, self-improvement, yeah. lack of a better term. I just feel sad for her. <laughs> part of the bag that she drags around now behind her, I think, has a lot to do with that. A part of the, the lack of freedom that she feels in her spiritual life um, or even desire to have. I mean, she's she acknowledges beauty and all of the universe and all of those things, but there is no desire for a per- the person of Jesus. And I think that's, since it happened, if she can draw those lines back to being eight years old, I think that they're, for me, I, I don't want to, you know, it's, talk about my sister but for me and thinking about my kids like I that would make me really sad if that was at eight years old you have to feel like the people who are teaching those vacation bible school classes like can ruin your your child's faith journey when we come back we will hear one last story before wrapping up this series but for now we got to hear an ad from our sponsor which is me, which is the Patreon. Becoming a patron of this show includes access to the patron-only Facebook group, but it also includes at least two bonus exclusive patron-only episodes per month at least. And uh, last week, we got the nice two-hour-long conversation with uh, my buddy Jim Becker called I Don't Believe in That God. He is an atheist. And I am a Christian theist, and we talked it out. We figured out what we agreed and disagreed on. I heard his story. Uh, We actually laughed a lot. It was a really interesting conversation. It's gotten some really good feedback from listeners. And in two days, another patron-only episode is coming out. 
And uh, what basically what I'm doing there is I've begun working on a follow-up series to this four-part series here. So it'll probably be two or three parts, but I'm trying to understand exactly why it is that so many people in my parents' generation, so largely largely speaking, the baby boomers, why did so many boomers and and sort of boomer-adjacent people believe so strongly in this end times rubric? On the one hand, you could say no one's ever predicted this stuff right. On the other hand, they would have said, and some people would say today, look at all these biblical prophecies coming true right before our eyes. And so I'm just curious as to why it was such a big thing, why the ground was so fertile in 1970 for Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and why it was still so fertile in 94, 95 for the Left Behind series. So I'm, in, I'm thinking about a lot of different angles, and I did about a 25-minute patron-only episode where I go through some of those angles uh, and just kind of give a window into what I'm thinking about as I'm working on uh, this new series. So that's the most recent patron episode. Again, that comes out in two days on Wednesday of this week. So let's get back to this episode here. Finally, today we will hear Liz's story. Now, Liz gave me permission to use her real name because at one point she actually uses it in the conversation and she doesn't care. Uh, Liz is a 49-year-old New Yorker born and bred. You can hear it in her incredible accent. She was introduced to end times theology through the film A Thief in the Night around age eight or nine. And in her community growing up, martyrdom was often mentioned as the preferred outcome if you found yourself left behind after the rapture. Liz was constantly worried that her faith would not be sufficient to guarantee her own rapture. As a result, she assumed that she would end up being martyred in some gruesome way. And all of this, of course, is at the age of eight or nine. Now, at one point, she mentions Frank Peretti, uh, and we don't explain that. So so that you know, Frank Peretti was a Christian author of what we might call today like supernatural fiction, lots of demons and angels and spiritual warfare going on. Okay, let's get into Liz's story. When did you stop believing that this stuff was going to happen? Well, that depends. Even today, I have rational Liz and I have Liz who has that ingrained into my psyche and can't shake it. It's always in the back of my mind. Uh, You know, I can remember a few instances uh, as an adult when there'd be a red moon and I'd be like, I need to call my mom and see if she's still there. Not, hey, why am I still here? But let me call my mom and see if she's still here. Because the And I actually got some of my friends who weren't Christians to buy into that. They'd call me and be like, yo, the moon's red. You might want to call your mom and see if she's still there. Like it was so much a part of my psyche. But I was kind of laughing at it with them. Like, do you believe I was, you know, raised believing in this? But that kind of paranoia spreads. If you have any little bit of a paranoid nature, it's not a big jump, I don't think, for people to go that direction. Okay, so you're saying that you had friends who were not evangelical Christians, maybe not Christians yeah. at all. That, my, my my ex-husband. So you shared this, pa- this part of your past with them, and some of them, like, l- at least somewhat latched on to the, to the paranoia. Yeah. Yep, yep. My, my ex-husband uh, most definitely did, yeah. Not to the extent where he believed that he was going to get killed, but I think he very much believed in an antichrist. He definitely believed in like some sort of a, he probably would have called it a dictator who just hated God. Um, but he definitely, you know, went down that road with me. Yeah. And is this when you did still believe that, or is this after you stopped believing it? 
I don't know that I've ever stopped believing Dan. Rationally, in my mind, I know it's it's nonsense. Uh-huh. At least I think it's nonsense. <laughs> I want it very much to be nonsense because if there's any chance that it's true, what does that say about God? Like the way that this has been spun to me my whole life is that this isn't about us. This is about all the other things that happened and we're like just along for the ride. But I just think that's crazy. <laughs> like, why would God do that? Yeah, it's so, so I understand it as to be kind of like um, the, the way that they'll describe God is that, look, God's got business with Satan, basically. Yes. yes. And we're caught up in the crossfire. And the yes. best thing we can do is just align ourselves with God in that battle, which needs to happen regardless of where we're at in our lives. Yeah, I've been told that the hell wasn't created for us, that we choose to go there, that it wasn't meant for us. But because of our own, you know, uh, human nature and our stupidity or whatever, we choose to go there like this has never been about us. Now, I'm sure the people who have told me that the adults would deny that now, because the other thing that they've conveniently done is they say that, well, new revelation has happened. So things that we believed back then, we no longer believe now because God is constantly revealing. So you can scratch anything that might have scarred you for life at eight because we're on to something new now. And that's all, you know, whatever that was, that was for that time. In my teenage years, I didn't deconstruct anything like a lot of the people we know are doing. I just kind of burnt it all to the ground. So I just walked away completely. I uh, left home at 14. I uh, just said this is all bunk. And I just stopped engaging with Christians as as a general rule outside of the bare minimum that I had to. So I just kind of pushed it to the back of my mind and didn't think about it at all. In my 20s and my 30s, I had times when I tried to get back involved with church, tried to find my way through that to reconstruct the ashes in my life. So I've always had the impression that God was not a loving God, this, you know, kind of a mean entity that sought to punish us because we were human, which he created and he made us that way. Uh, and gave us free will and gave us the ability to think for ourselves. But if we step out of line, uh, you know, that's on us. And when we get, you know, turned to a pile of dust, that's our fault. That's how I viewed God. Uh, I'm trying to get out of that now. <laughs> yeah. And and how related is that view of God to the kind of rapture end time stuff? Or is it sort of logically prior to the end time stuff? No, I think it started around that. It started around that because, you know, I do a lot of work in my in my job about trauma and specifically about childhood trauma. And I would consider the way that doctrine is presented to kids in a lot of those denominations keeps kids in a constant state of uh, fight or flight, you know, more of a complex trauma type of a thing where you're hearing all these negative messages, even if that's not what's intended, because I don't want to go so far as to say these horrible people that are trying to ruin their kids' lives, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the intention. It's the result of what happens. I got very, uh, you know, death and destruction messages. Now, it happened to coincide for me, and maybe other people can't speak to it in this way, but I had other stuff going on in my life in my childhood that was contributing to it as well. So I can't lay all of it at the feet of the church trauma. But the place where I went for safety is the last place that I found it, (laughs) which was, you know, what was being preached, what was being promoted down to the Sunday school songs that we sung, like, that song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See, Be Careful Little Eyes What You Hear. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. It's I don't kind know of that awesome. Song. There's a father up above looking down on you with love is the last line, but right up to it is you better watch what you're doing because God's watching you. <laughs> and we would sing this in Sunday school. I was five, you know, four, singing that song. 
in a lot of people's experience, the end times part of the overall church message uh, seems to have been used a lot in behavior management of teenagers. Yes. So yes. Does, does that resonate with your experience? It does. I mean, I, I left church at 14, but absolutely. Yeah. It was a, a keep you in line type of a thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I felt like it was done to every teenager that I knew, every kid that I knew, we all were walking around with the same mindset of, the, the Bible, the end times, the rapture, the fear of Antichrist was used to control us. Don't don't be a bad kid. Don't mess it up, because then you're just increasing the chances. If you are rebellious, if you don't honor your mother and father, you are adding to the chances that you will not be caught up in the rapture. That's some pretty heavy shit to lay on kids. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Um, let, let's talk about the actual <laughs> mental health stuff. Um, so let's let's go back to seven, eight, nine years old. You. You've got language for it now because of your current work. You're saying that sometimes children who are traumatized are put into a kind of constant or or near constant fight or flight, kind of a um, increased adrenaline, increased sort of – how how would you describe – and how would would you describe that and and your own experience at that age now with your language you have now? I would say that I was an anxious, uh, very hyper-aware Uh, way more um, insightful than a child that age should be because of that stuff. You know, I definitely had a maturity level well beyond my years because of that. And yeah, I walked around in a constant state of anxiety waiting for someone to come and get me, you know, and waiting for God to hurt me in some way because I might have lied or I might have, you know, hit my brother or, you know, something that kids do, you know, get into a fight, whatever. But it was more around the respect for the adults and being kept in line and whether or not you were honoring your mother and your father. That was a real, and that also meant other adults in the church. So it didn't have to be your direct parents. You're, you're being parented by, you know, 20 different people, <laughs> you know, all feeling like they could tell you what you needed to be doing. You know, you're 49 and you, you know, in the rational part of your head that this is almost definitely not, what the future actually holds, but you you cannot shake this understanding of God. What does that do to your mental health now? It's a little bit easier for me to control it now, but I have to invest a lot of energy into it. I have to uh, really work hard to not lose my shit <laughs> on the daily uh, because, you know, whatever is happening politically can be tied back to in some way to this. You know, so if a president is, you know, currently whoever the current president is, if they're not supporting Israel, if they're, you know, especially wrapped around Israel, Israel is a big piece of all of that, uh, you know, then uh, he might be the Antichrist or he's, you know, going to be paving the way for the Antichrist. So everything is constructed around does it connect to the rapture or not? Does it connect to and are we is, are we doing enough in order to bring the rapture? Like, that's the other weird thing is that they, they want it to happen. Like, it's not, oh, it's too bad that this is going to happen because things played out the way it did. It's yes, let's bring this on and woe to anyone who didn't believe, you know, it's twisted. I can tie it back to the mindset in the Pentecostal church, which is that all of this stuff doesn't matter. It's what's coming after, you know, this is nothing. 
uh, it's almost kind of like some of the Eastern religions in a way, like this is all an illusion. Oh, you know, they don't say it that way, but that's kind of what it equates to is that everything you have here on this earth matters not, including your own family sometimes. Like it, none of that is important. What's important are the treasures you're storing up for yourself in heaven and the rewards you're going to get in heaven. And because they frame it as a reward, I think that's also problematic. So you're not just serving God because it's the right thing to do, because he's God, because you love God. You're serving God because, A, you're afraid of going to hell. You're afraid that you're not going to get raptured. You're afraid of the Antichrist and because of what you're going to get when you get there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. The other thing is is the the political stuff uh, really resonates with me. In fact, a little anecdote from my story. I was really anxious around 2008. I was just being diagnosed with panic disorder and um, had my first Xanax prescription. And we went on tour to England and I was sleeping really bad. And uh, as an offhand comment, our manager was with us and he's conservative politically, which is fine. I didn't care. But I asked him about Obama and he said, oh, he's a seems like a good guy. But politically, I think he's the Antichrist. And he didn't mean anything by it. But I had like a week long panic attack from that because that was still so salient in my mental health life. And um, so I really resonate with that. And I I guess I'd like to hear a bit more from you on what you think is going on there. Uh, why, Why do you think that the political... Uh, news or Israel, U.S. relationship stuff. Why is that such a strong trigger to this day? For me personally? For you personally. Because I'm I'm looking to see, you know, when the trumpets are going to start. <laughs> it's acted when the, when the uh, seals are broken, that every political action that happens could potentially be the one that starts the seven years of tribulation. So I'm always waiting to see. I didn't think Obama was the Antichrist. I know a lot of Christians who did because all you need to do is go on social media. And that's all you saw was that he, you know, he's a Muslim because in my uh, childhood and in my early twenties, when I did try to start getting involved in church again, they were very locked and loaded on the new age religion as being the thing that was going to usher in the antichrist. Now it's switched to Islam. So now it's Islam is, you know, and now it used to be that, you know, potentially the antichrist would be a political figure, but now they're thinking he's going to be like a Muslim, a terrorist who's just going to force everyone through jihad to convert. Yeah. Like I watch what's playing out with this current president and I find it interesting that the behaviors that the way that the evangelical community is aligning itself with this man and the things that he is doing to me in my belief still that this stuff might end up being true is for sure, ushering that in. <laughs> the amount of hate, the amount, the lack of love, the amount of othering, you know, the way we're treating uh, immigrants, uh, just or people, you know, seeking asylum in this country, like the way it's playing out. If we ever need to see a shift in the church and the way it behaved, this is what's described in the Bible. We are definitely in that place. But it's the American church. It's interesting to me because they're always putting bets that it's going to be everyone else. And America was going to be the only ones who weren't deceived. Well, guess what? Sounds like you're the elect to me. And you have been deceived because this man, he's not he's not living a life for God. I don't care if he supports Israel. I don't care if he says he believes in God. That is, his actions are saying exactly the opposite. He may be. I don't think he's the Antichrist, but I think he will pave the way. If an Antichrist exists, he's coming. Or she, we don't know that it's a, it's coming after Trump is done, in my opinion. You're saying that like you don't rationally think that the 
the eschatology, the sort of end time scenario you yeah. were given is accurate, but you can't help but interpret. I can't help Trump interpret through it that, that lens. Yep, I can't help it. I can't help it. It is so much a part of my psyche. So we can reframe it to be a dictator or, you know, someone who's going to do dictator like things across the world. But we are setting the stage for the world to want it by the way this man behaves, which is another thing that that end times eschatology puts forth is that people will beg for this. Kind of seems like we're heading in that direction right now. If you can't help but look at current events through that lens, is there anything about that lens that you think is good for you, like that you're grateful that you look through that lens, or is it entirely a burden to look through that lens? I would say it's 95% a burden. I think the one thing that it is doing for me now, and some of this has to do with being involved with, you know, your group, Bad Christian uh, as well, that I'm able to take a step back because I, I finally can find other people thinking like me. I mean, the even the very idea of liberal Christianity, like I didn't grow up thinking that those people were the ones going who <laughs> were going to be in bed with the Antichrist. They exactly. were all the ones running around with the mark of the beast. So it is a burden to me. I would like to be able to just look at life and not always be wondering when is this going to happen and. You know, am I going to die because I'm beheaded or am I going to die because a giant earthquake happens and I get sucked into the earth or, you know, how's, how am I going to die? I walk around. So here I am almost 50 and I've spent my entire life worrying about this. I've not had any freedom because of it. That's horrible. My grandmother had an apartment in a uh, town in Staten Island, New York, that had a volunteer fire department and they had a very loud horn that they would, like a, an alarm that they would blast to get people to come to the firehouse if there was a fire. And I remember I was eight years old walking up the steps to our apartment and that alarm went off and I literally fell to the ground out of fear that those were the trumpets and it was starting. And I like almost passed out in absolute terror. Like that's, <laughs> that is the type of impact that this stuff has had on me. But, you know, for some people, God is love. <laughs> and this is all a part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> what? You almost shit your pants on the stairs? That's okay. God loves you anyway. <laughs> you just ignore that terror. Terror is sin. Now you're giving into fear and you can't give into that because that's sin. That's the other thing. Yes. How am I forgetting that? If you're afraid of it, then you're sinning because you're not supposed to give into fear. That's from the devil. So you can't be afraid of it either. Yeah. Now that seems that's- like uh, emotional abuse at that point to, to present something that is terrifying in its own nature and then to tell a kid that they can't be afraid of it or they're sinning against God. That's impossible. You can't get out of that bind. So I will have dreams where people from that church are trying to kill me (laughs) or where, um, you know, the Antichrist is outside the doors of the church trying to get in. And then it turns out that the person who's running the church on the inside is is the uh, the religious leader that's supposed to happen. Yeah, it's just it's it's so twisted. In my mind, because why else would I read the Peretti books and the Left Behind books? I'm a glutton for punishment. Like it's, you know, (laughs) I had to keep exposing myself to it to try to get a handle on it. But it just made it worse. Although the Left Behind books I found to be a little ridiculous. But Peretti's books really bothered me. Uh, Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, uh, What what bothered you about uh, his literature? How how little responsibility people would A, have for their own actions because everything was being orchestrated by demons, which is also a uh, tenant that I heard growing up a lot. You know, the church that I went to was heavy into deliverance ministry. 
and everybody having demons. So I used to hear those types of things going on, you know, in our home because my stepfather was a pastor. So they would bring people into the home and me, my brother, my sister would hear all sorts of horrible things from the basement where these things were going on. So I already had that understanding that Satan controlled a lot more. Demons could come inside your body and control you. And then on top of that, just the fact that everything seemed orchestrated by them. Like we literally, if we were supposed to have free will, how the hell are these things able to orchestrate so much? (laughs) How can demons possibly control people to that extent? It didn't make sense to me. What did you think the relationship, or what do you think now that the relationship was between that kind of demon heavy Frank Preddy thing and the end time stuff. <sighs> what do I think the relationship is? So I've heard so many things now over the years, kind of combining all of that together. Like, uh, for example, the, um, those creatures that are described at one point, I think it's in revelation that says, you know, people will want to die and won't be able to, cause they would have been stung by these things or somehow bitten by these creatures. It's been a while since I've read Revelation, yeah. frankly. So Revelation kind of vaguely describes them. The Left Behind books turn them into these like hybrid scorpion demon things that were like flying around and and just biting people. And they were, you know, unable to die and lying around in agony for days. The other thing I heard as a part of this doctrine growing up is that when this time frame happens, when the tribulation happens, that that veil supposedly that exists between us and that world will be gone and we'll be able to see them all the time. <laughs> Hooray. So <laughs> do you consider yourself Christian today? I do, but I don't know what kind of Christian I would define myself. I for sure do not want to align myself with the evangelical Christianity any longer. How serious of an obstacle to continuing to consider yourself a Christian is all of this end time stuff for you? Oh, obstacle. I wouldn't say that it's an obstacle. It's definitely a barrier to my having a closer relationship with God. I've never been able to, because of a lot of that stuff, other things too, but a lot of that kind of trauma-ish stuff in my childhood, I have disassociated from any kind of a spiritual relationship with God. In my mind, I know that this is something I should have, but I cannot get my spirit, soul, and mind to line up. It's very fragmented. Um, so that's, I think why it's been so easy for me to walk away the times that I have, because I, I'm, I wasn't invested in it fully, completely where I felt like, um, I was connecting to God in any way. I just want to say right now that it's pretty clear that that's not on you. That's not your fault. Oh yeah, I know that, but it, it doesn't matter that it's not my fault. It's what is, what's yeah. interesting is that I'll be criticized by certain members of my family for, you know being deceived and not having uh, a walk with God and that I've gotten all this bad teaching. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, where do you think this teaching came from? Where do you think I got it from? You know, I want a relationship with God. I associate God and specifically Jesus with trauma and I don't know how to separate them. So when I try to have a relationship with God, it causes such panic for me and such anxiety and such fear. And I, I know in my head, that's not who God is. I really do believe that's not who God is, but everything that I've been taught and shown tells me, tells me otherwise. So it's, it's difficult, man. <laughs> it's really difficult. I grew up in a very abusive home. I can't also separate God from the end times, which was used as a way to discipline me. But also while I'm being beaten and all these other things, I'm being told that God loves me at the same time. So, but one of the things that happened is that I had a seizure disorder when I was a child. 
um, I would have grand mal seizures and I had them for a couple of years and they were pretty bad. It, it, it was, I was on uh, phenobarbital and the doctors were saying, you know, she's not going to be able to drive. She's not going to have a normal functioning life. And there's speaking of demons and end time stuff. There was one night where I'd had a particularly bad seizure and I got up afterwards, went into my mom's bedroom and said, uh, you know, I just, I had another seizure and she was half asleep and she was like, you know, just say a little prayer that God will protect you and help you go back to sleep and you can sleep next to me, go to bed. And I'm lying in the bed next to her trying to sleep. And I'm seeing these, these things outside the window, these very demonic looking creatures, trying to get in, banging on the window, hovering around the window, just trying to get in. And it's terrifying me. So I did start to pray. And when that happens, uh, I hope you don't think I'm crazy for sharing this with you. Sometimes I think I'm crazy when I say it. Um, an angel kind of came into the room or what a child would interpret an angel to look like. I don't know. I, I think that's, I saw what I needed to see and kind of took my spirit out and up. And I went to what I'm going to assume was heaven. And it looked very much like a, uh, what a kid would have heard heaven would look like, you know, very shiny, very pretty. <laughs> Everything was clean. You know, uh, I saw a few relatives that had passed away that I wouldn't have known were my relatives, but they knew that I was. Um, and so they talked to me and then I was brought in front of what I have to believe was Jesus. I didn't see Jesus's face. I didn't see that, but it was so bright. I couldn't look directly at him, but I did see the hands and there was holes in the hands. And he said to me, I want you to stop taking that medication because you're not going to have seizures anymore. And I haven't had a seizure since that day. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. No, so I do not think you're crazy. Thank you for sharing that story. That is the one thing that buffers all of this other stuff for me is that somewhere up there is a God who loves me. H has to be because, you know, why else do that? You know, so people with more rational scientific minds would say, well, you know, your brain just interpreted it that way. You just had a very bad seizure. It could have been any number of things. But I don't know how you explain the stopping of the seizures. Please remember when the FEMA camps were supposedly being built and what's his name? Uh, Ted Nugent, yeah, was going around with taking videos of the coffins that they were building. I mean, this was in 1994, 95. All right, so it's a while ago, but people really, really believe that it's the Christians that are going to be the ones to get persecuted and killed. They don't see putting kids in cages <laughs> when we separate them from their families as, as possibly being a form of torture. You know, all the trauma that I've experienced as a kid, especially from the church and how are we putting kids in cages? <laughs> you know, I don't understand that. What message do you have for listeners who might have gone through or are still going through some of the similar experiences you've had around the end time stuff? Hmm. I might have two different ones. The first would be if they have kids. So if they are about to have kids, if you have kids, if you have young children, seriously rethink putting your stuff into them. <laughs> and that probably goes for all parenting. Uh, I find myself saying things to my stepdaughters where I'm like, <laughs> that was my mom just now. That was not me. Um, but it it can really change the brain development. I mean, it's trauma is that serious. It changes the way the brain works. And then what you perceive is forever changed until you recognize that that's what, hap what is happening. And you do the work 
you know, therapy and the other uh, types of interventions that work to change it. Um, so just be mindful of that. They don't need to have this view of God. So if you're going to a church that is encouraging this, please rethink their exposure to this because it can really damage them. And they may not be able to articulate that to you now, but at some point they will. As far as dealing with your own anxiety and stuff, I I have no pearls of wisdom, just I love you. <laughs> We're all kind of in this together and uh, that's it. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. Thank you to the brave women who shared their stories today. Thank you to Scott Sanjemi for editing these conversations for me today. And uh, yeah, if you guys are new to the podcast, maybe somebody showed you these, uh, told you about these episodes or you heard me on another podcast, feel free to look around. You don't have to listen in any order. Just find a topic that seems interesting to you. I appreciate your attention and and giving me some time. And uh, we will be back next week. My wife is due any day now uh, with our first son. And so there will probably be, I'm going to take some weeks off uh, here and there, but I've also got a couple special things that I might put in a couple of those off weeks. So there will be more. Thank you guys for listening. Consider joining the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dan Coke, or you have permission pod. Click become a patron. Email me with anything. You have permission podcast at gmail.com. See you guys next week.